Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. the greatest weekend of football in recent history it just seemed like there was non-stop action thrilling finishes crazy moments and a whole lot of consequences for fantasy football so let's talk about it all of it right here on the breakout football podcast i'm zach cohen of the draft network with cole topham of devil's digest and we have a loaded show for you today we will kick things off as always with our weekly superlatives then cole and i will fling some players at each other for our 10 takes on 10 players then we'll dive headfirst into the trade market and pick some players who are heating up and some players who are cooling off cole also is going to break down one of the biggest breakout performers of the season before we finish with your questions trust me you won't want to miss everything that's going down in this episode isn't that right cole no absolutely not it's a, it's jam-packed every single week that's how we do it here on the breakout football podcast and that's what we're doing this week is, is discussing breakouts so all right so let's get right into it then your first superlatives got a receiver who said a little bit of a breakout i'd say he's an older guy but it's never too late to, to continue popping off yeah, I mean, you know, I had to take a victory lap on this. Hmm. I was texting you through the game, and this is how we ended um, the last week's podcast is by me saying, you know, I hadn't really looked at too many sleepers, but I was eyeing that Sunday night matchup between the Chiefs and Bills, and the Chiefs' pass defense has been pretty mediocre this season. So I said, if I had to pick a sleeper for week five, it's going to be Emmanuel Sanders. They're going to focus heavily on Stephon Diggs. Um, they're going to let Sanders fall through the cracks. I said he was going to slice through this Chiefs defense, and that's exactly what they did. 20.4 PPR points, two touchdowns, his second multi-touchdown game of the season. And so it's, it's always glad when, when your prediction forecast pans out the way you envision it to. Oh, yeah. I love Sanders so far. I mean, he's not the number one receiver on the offense, but he has been the most productive in recent weeks. So mm-hmm. good call on that. I'm also looking at someone who had a big game this week for my first superlative being biggest fluke. So I kind of went a different connotation than you. And I'm looking at Miles Gaskin. You already know he w- it was the hottest waiver wire pickup of the week. But let's kind of oh, yeah. peel the curtain back a little bit. Miles Gaskin from weeks one to four. 31.9 total points. Brutal. Four games. Miles Gaskin in week five, 31.9 points. You see what I'm getting at here? Gaskin saw 10 targets after seeing 12 through the first four games. And teams are throwing against the Bucks more than any other team, especially in neutral pass situations. That's a term I really will be using a couple times throughout this episode, but neutral pass rate is essentially what a team does on first and second downs, excluding the final two minutes of each half. Because that's really when you can have a good glimpse at a team's game plan. Teams can run the ball when they're up, can throw the ball a lot when they're down or trying to win or score some quick points at the end of a half. So by analyzing their neutral pass run rate, it kind of gives you a better idea of, okay, is this team more run-oriented or pass-oriented? Well, in the case of Tampa Bay, teams are passing against them more than any other team, and it isn't even close. 
So hopefully you realize that coming into the waiver period, which by this time has already passed. And if you do have Miles Gaskin on your team, use this opportunity now to sell high because he's not going to match that point total. The, his production was really on par with everything we've seen thus far this season except he saw like five or six more targets. So I'm not, look, he saw 12 targets through the first four games. He just saw 10, like, come on, let's pump the brakes a bit. I, I'm not expecting Gaskin to repeat that type of production every single week. Yeah, I mean, he and he caught all those targets too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so like it's nice that he is the receiving back in the Dolphins offense. Just don't get the hopes too high. It's We've been there. We've done that. We know this can't happen every single week. Heck, it may not even happen again the rest of this season. Yeah, I don't know how many Arizona State fans listen to this fantasy podcast, but I actually just retweeted a graphic that was, um, you know, the same the same numbers. What, what was it again? The 31.9 past... points in week five and 31.9 points. In no, 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 the, the um, pass run. Oh, pass run. Yes. Do you, do you want me to give like a little breakdown of it again or? No, 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 no. What, what, just, what is the term called? I forget. Oh, uh, neutral pass run. Rate. Yes. N- neutral pass run, right. And ASU was like, fell on the good run team, good offense side of the okay. ball. And then you just see Arizona just all the way at the other end. It's just, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a major difference in football between, between these states, but yeah. So moving on to my next player, there's also a major difference in, and just volume between Gaskin and this player coming up, Marquez Callaway, who I have tabbed as the most efficient player in week five. And, and that's what you're going to get, right? You're going to get boom or bust production with Jameis Winston at the helm. He's going to uncork like a beautiful long bomb touchdown and then just throw a head scratching interception, a drive later. But Callaway was a wide receiver eight on four catches, 50 yards, two trips to the end zone. I, I don't know how much more efficient you can get than that, but that's why I gave him those honors. Yeah, and that included that beautiful Hail Mary at the end of the first half, I think. So it's nice. We can't expect him to, produce, to keep producing those type of numbers, especially when Michael Thomas comes back. That kind of brings me to my next point because Callaway's stock may be relatively high. We talked about Gaskin and Sanders. Their stocks are probably more high than they will be this season. One receiver who raised his stock a lot, Robert Woods. He had the biggest stock-saving performance. Mm-hmm. So try saving that four times fast because coming into this uh, week five, heck, even week four, People were already writing Woods off as dead in the water. And I kept saying, look, the usage is there. Just the production, it's not. And he's in a top offense, like a top three passing offense right now. Cooper Cup's stealing all the, the touchdowns. But again, like Cup's only was only seeing a few more targets. So after putting up 14.8 points a week four with a touchdown, Woods decided to pop off with 12 catches on 14 targets for 150 yards and 27 fantasy points. That is beautiful. It shows that he doesn't need the score to be good. That's really what people should look for in your fantasy teams, because if you need a score to be good, you're not going to score every single time. I think my, my favorite example is Robert Tunyon last year. Tunyon was a top 12 tight end last year, but only because he would catch like three, four passes a game. It just so happened he would score. That's You can't expect that in every single game. Woods was the opposite against Seattle. He had no touchdowns, but he had 14 targets. That's more than Cup had in any single game this year. 
And like the last two games, Woods missed just four total plays. So there is a chance that this type of performance can happen down the road. So he's still fine. Uh, we may see better performances than like we saw in the first four weeks. So that again, I'm not expecting him to match what he just did in week five. But he is a player who, if he's on your roster right now, maybe you would want to gouge a trade market a little more aggressively for him because 27 points, 12 catches, 14 targets. I know I keep hammering those numbers down. That's great. Maybe it'll happen one or two more times this season, but we can't expect that to continue to happen religiously. So I think he's, his production moving forward, his value is kind of lies in what we saw in week four, where he had 14.8 points. He needed a touchdown to bolster there, eight-ish targets. So I think that really helped his stock. And then this week, seeing what he could do without scoring – save the stock. He's fantasy relevant again. He's a player who you can confidently slot in your lineups and potentially trade for. I mean, hey, now, don't don't give too much away. We, we still got to get, get to our hot and cold segment where he comes up again, Zach. You just, you just stole all of my information. Oh, my gosh. Are we doubling down on Robert Woods? We are doubling down on Robert Woods. Uh, Bobby yeah. Trees. Okay, fine. Fine. We, we can well, talk about him twice. That's fine. <laughs> well with that said we can get into our 10 takes on 10 players as always Cole and I each have five players sometimes we'll fling them at a guest sometimes we'll fling them at each other today we are doing the latter so Cole why don't you kick things off what player do you want me to give a take on right now yeah yeah, yeah. Kirk Cousins who we discussed earlier in the show um has been having a pretty efficient season pretty much mistake-free football up until this point what are your thoughts so it's kind of been the tale of two Kirks, really. And I'm not just saying that because William Shatner went to space today and Chris Pine is the like this generation's Captain Kirk or something. I don't know. I, try, I tried to get a modern reference in there. It didn't really pan out. But something that really hasn't been panning out is Kirk Cousins in the last two weeks. Because after averaging 24 points through the first three games, Cousins scored less than 24 points total in the last two games. And since he's not much of a threat on the ground, his fantasy value is proven to be directly tied to touchdowns. That explains his drastic drop in production following week three when he failed to score more than once in weeks four and five. Now, look, he's still worth rostering by all means because look what he did the first three weeks, 22, 22, 25 points. So keep an eye on how he does against a good Carolina defense I think moving forward, if you want to start him, it'll have to be more matchup-based. He's got a little bit of a tough schedule in the middle of the season. So if the current strength of schedule data holds toward the end of the season, he might have a little friendlier a few matchups in the back end of the season around playoff times. But he's not a guy who I'm necessarily like, oh, I need to have him on my team or should I get him off of my team? I'll talk about another quarterback you should target in just a bit. But I do want to get your thoughts as I gave my take on a quarterback. I want to hear your take on a quarterback. I want to hear your thoughts on QB1 himself. Some say he's the GOAT. Some say he's a system quarterback. I say, why not both? How about that for a controversy? <laughs> Give me your take on Tom Brady. Oh, I like that. Why not? Why, why can't a system quarterback be the GOAT? No, I mean, like, I'm going to keep it brief. Brief what Brady is doing at 44 years old and torching fantasy lineups as fantasy's quarterback one is just 
absolutely unbelievable. I don't think anyone expected this. He's supporting three top 20 receivers plus Gronk uh, when, when he's healthy. Right. I, I just, it, it blows my mind. Like if I could be doing something at that high of a level at 44 years old, I mean, I know I've got some time to go before, before I hit, hit that mark, but <laughs> I, I, Brady is is rosterable like at 44 years old like this dude is almost half a century and he's still winning fantasy leagues it's it's just incredible yeah I don't know whatever he's on uh he's taking he's taking some sort of vitamins to keep him healthy like that there's a little something there was what the tb12 method yeah 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 that's that's the less fun answer I was thinking about There's a whole South Park episode on Tom Brady eating something. Oh, I know what it was. I don't want to say that on air, but either way, yes, Ale. Tom Brady, very good. Um, all right, let's keep it rolling, and we'll get into some running backs. Who you want me to dish out some takes on next? Yeah, yeah. Let's hear your thoughts on Antonio Gibson, who last week you said you should be trading for Gibson before his stock gets too high. Has that changed? Actually, I've been saying you should trade – you should trade him. You should trade, oh, you away should trade him. Gibson. Okay. Wow. His stock is high. My bad. Right. So he, I said Gibson should be a sell high last week. And I, we put that video up on TikTok. And I don't know if you've checked, but it's been blowing up a lot lately. Oh, I think has it? Had like I'm going to check right now. I'm going to check right now. Yeah. Let's check see. while I spew about Gibson a little yes. bit more because he kind of followed it up with a similar performance we've seen all year. It's just that he scored. Like literally what he did last week was the same thing that happened this week, plus a couple more carries. And I, couple more targets plus a touchdown and one of the big reasons why was because jd mckissick came into the game injured and so did gibson but gibson looked fine mckissick did not mckissick his usage cut in half from what we've seen throughout the rest of the season and i don't think that's going to be a norm because mckissick continues to still eat up carries inside the 10 and on third downs and again like look he wasn't playing healthy, so I don't really expect him to fully take Gibson's roles, but he's he's a thorn in Gibson's side, or at least from a fantasy perspective. And again, Gibson is not a bad player by any means. He's RB12 on the season in total points. But some people still expect him to be a top seven, top six running back. That's why I think he's a sell high, because I think he's playing at his floor right now or close to it. When people drafted him before the season, you know more so than most people, so many people, so many people had Gibson as the next great fantasy running back, top five overall player. And I was like, no, that can't yeah, not happen. the next CMC, remember? Right, yeah, it just cannot happen. So find people who still believe in that and still trade him. Again, not a player you must trade, but his stock right now, it may not get any higher. So you might as well maximize on that yeah i found the tiktok it's it's good work 560 likes 18k views yeah 128 comments most of them just like a panicked owners like trying to get a haul for for gibson but i feel bad because i made this graphic and i wrote sell high on gibson and i said like the exact opposite (laughs) so all good i mean the graphic for that you're all good because i think it's a graphic that really like sold it that people started like oh my gosh like i got it Listen to this and take a look on it. So good work on your part, baby. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, I got a running back for you to talk about, though. Kareem Hunt has been balling. He has RB6 right mm-hmm. now. Can he sustain that? What's good with Hunt? I think 
it's been proven in the last three seasons that these running backs can coexist. And while, you know, one of these running backs will be better on a certain Sunday than the other, they're always going to be putting up like decent numbers and they're always going to be actively involved in some capacity throughout the game. It's, it's just whether in the second half, which running back takes the majority of the workload. And I mean, this past week it was, it was hunt. Um, but so far, Kareem has outproduced Chubb this year, 93.1, once again, not by much, but still 93.4 PPR points to 82.8. Like I said, they can coexist. It's basically just pick the game script that you think this game is going to follow. And then that will favor, you know, the, the running back in, once again, Hunt, Hunt will favor in competitive matchups. Chubb will be favored in those, you know, grinded out games um, where, the Browns just need to take off clock, take off seconds off the clock. So I think that's why we've seen Hunt outproduce Chubb so far is because the Browns have had a lot of close games, a lot of competitive matchups where Hunt's receiving ability is just more welcomed as a safety blanket for Baker. Hundred percent. And in my uh, TDN start sit article, which should be dropping Thursday morning, I had a little brief Look. description on players who you should trade away or trade for. Hunt's a trade away candidate right now because again, he may be the prime example of this. Him and Cordell Patterson, who I will definitely talk about later, uh, he's playing at his his floor. He may be even playing past his floor right now, which is pretty darn rare. So I'm totally with you on the the Hunt take. Let's transition into another running back, Devontae Booker, who I must mm-hmm. say have not said this name like with such confidence in a while <laughs> because this dude poured up at Utah, which is where I'm headed this weekend, but hasn't really had the type of NFL career you might expect from, I think he was a former former Heisman candidate at some point, like in his, in his junior or senior season. Yeah, I'm rambling. What, what do you think of him? I think he had like three or four touchdowns in one half, I think, in one season. Sounds about right. But anyway, for his fantasy value, he is a great starting running back while Barkley heals his ankle. Booker mm-hmm. can be a workhorse back, and it's mostly because look at what the Giants just did uh, against the Cowboys. And they've leaned pretty heavily on one running back in their games leading up to it. But then when Barkley left with an injury, Booker played 60 of the 68 snaps, which again is similar to how Barkley has been used so far this season. And Booker may see even more receiving work if the Giants play from behind, which may happen in their next match against the Rams and then the Panthers and then the Chiefs. So Booker can easily see about 20 carries and like five to six targets a game. He should have been the number one pickup on waivers. If he's still for some reason available in your league, go and get him right now because Booker, Booker's a low end RB one, a high end RB two in the next two or three weeks. However long Barkley's out. Yeah. I hate when there's like a multitude of options in the backfield where you don't know which one to like, not, not handcuff, but pick up. But like last year it was Devonte Freeman or Wayne Gallman in the Giants backfield when Saquon went down. But now as we've got Booker, the clear cut option, like you said, played damn near 95% of the snaps. Um, actually that math's wrong, probably somewhere around the 90%. <laughs> Stick <laughs> right. to your day job. I know for real. <laughs> No, I can't. I can't say anything about it because my math skills. Uh, my mom's a, my day job is also stats and and uh, 
trying to leverage those for my opinion. So unfortunately, I'm out of luck there. With that yeah. being said, Booker's the clear cut option in New York. Yeah, nobody told me when I like decided to like talk about fantasy football publicly. I'd have to throw in numbers. What's up? With that? <laughs> you know, you, you'd think years of my mom helping me in math would have helped with this. Eh, it, it's helped me then. Now I can use a little bit more of her help. So mom, going to need your help analyzing some fantasy data, including on Cowboys running back, Nazi Elliott. No, Tony Pollard. He yep. was the quintessential handcuff. And now he's like a handcuff plus an actual option in the Cowboys offense. What's going on with Pollard? Yeah, well, especially like some of the running backs like CEH and those that got put on injured reserve are going to drop out of like that top 20 range. Pollard's running back 21 on the season. He has more than doubled Zeke's yardage in the receiving game, and he's actually seeing more consistent work in that area than I think we would have expected coming into the season. It seems like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a stretch to call the Cowboys like a, a, double, a double backfield, right, or dual mm -hmm. weapon backfield. And yet I think that's sort of the direction that they're, that they're going to find themselves in as we get you know, longer into the season. He saw a season high 14 carries this week, and I don't expect him to really be like around that 15 carry range every single week. But I think there's some, the Cowboys recognize there's some value in getting Pollard in, involved and with him pacing Zeke throughout the game. So I, I think this, this type of production and consistency in the offense from Pollard is something that we're going to see for the rest of the season. This isn't just a fluke. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of weird because the Cowboys have, they're, they're passing less, but a lot of it has to do with their defense just being a lot better. So, Trayvon Diggs, man. Yeah. Defensive player of the year, possibly. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what? Xavier Howard won, was, was in contention for de defensive player of the year with six picks. Didn't Stephon Gilmore win it with six picks? He already has yep. six in, in five games. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, what other – you got a receiver for me now that we move past the quarterbacks running backs. Let's, let's talk some wideouts. Who you got? Let, let's talk about what's going on in Chicago and oh. Allen Robinson. Oh, this breaks my heart, Cole. I'm not going to lie. Plain and simple, you cannot start Allen Robinson anymore. No. You just can't. And that's especially okay. true with Justin Fields at quarterback. Through the last four games, Robinson saw between three to six targets each game. That is not a good range. To make matters worse, for Robinson at least, Darnell Mooney leads the team in targets, and he's a good player. But he's not the player you probably spent a fourth or fifth round pick on. To make matters even more worse for Robinson fantasy managers, the Bears are just not throwing the ball enough. They're not. They have the second lowest neutral pass rate in the NFL. And again, that means they're running the ball 62% of the time on first and second downs, excluding the final two minutes of each half. So the valuable, the true glimpse in the, the behind the curtain type carries and plays. That's what's going on with Chicago. And as talented as Robinson is, his bad situation hinders his fantasy value completely. So if you can trade him, trade him. If you can cut him, eh, only for an upgrade. I wouldn't cut him just yet. It's only five games into the season. Maybe something changes after the bye week. That is a real phenomenon. The bye week comebacks and anti-comebacks or bye week drop-offs, for lack of a better word, uh, are real. So Allen Robinson, a non-factor in fantasy right now. It breaks my heart. It's sad. It's disappointing. But the show goes on. You got to make do with what you got. 
Yeah, we always have that one wide receiver that breaks our heart every single year that we're, we think we'll expect consistent production from. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're talking about Calvin Ridley. Yes, I just oh. related Allen Robinson to Calvin Ridley. Because oh. once again, this is a Calvin Ridley-friendly podcast oh, that man. is very, very upset and frustrated right now. Listen, a lot, a lot of sadness on the podcast. Let's change that. I yep. want you to talk about a wide receiver who has been balling. Yes. Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown. They finally figured out how to use him Love because it. his numbers are wide receiver one-like. And I, I mean, these speedy wide receivers that do not have very large catch radiuses and torch defenses, they're always going to be compared to Tyreek Hill, right? But right now, Hollywood Brown's fantasy production is akin to Tyreek Hill. He's put up similar numbers, except Brown has been even more efficient than Hill. He has 13 less targets than Hill. He's only trailing him by around 12 points in fantasy. Both are over the 100 mark in PPR points. I think this is the year Hollywood Brown has finally arrived. Lamar Jackson, had, I think, had what? A historic night passing the football on Monday? Yeah, like first player to... 85% completion percentage, four touchdowns, no picks, 400 total yards, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. And, Google and it. Brown was the guy that sparked the comeback effort with his uh, with his long sluggo route and route to the end zone. And then he was the guy to win it for the Ravens, too. So not yeah. only is he you know providing these spark plays, but the Ravens are actually looking for him in those scenarios. They're not just relying on him to clear out for Mark Andrews or, or any of the other you know big pass catchers the Ravens have had on the roster. So it's it, the Ravens finally view Brown as a legitimate weapon that they can utilize instead of just being this kind of gadget player that he never really fit in to that role anyway. It's really nice to see how Brown's adapted in the Ravens offense. So good for him. Uh, we got two more players left to each before we move on to our hot and cold segment. We'll talk about that in a second, but first my final player, Cole, who you want me to talk about? Yep. You, you, it's a tight end. Mike Gusecki, Dolphins, Tua coming back this week. Do we have any expect expectations for week six? I expect him to still see like roughly six to eight targets a game, maybe even 12 in some cases. And look, the big worry coming into the season was Gesicki. Was he going to get involved enough in the passing game? They brought in Will Fuller. They drafted Jalen Waddle. And the answer is, Oh, yeah, he'll still be a factor, not just because, like, he's a big slot receiver technically, but because the Dolphins receivers, they don't know how to stay healthy. Just bubble wrap them at this point. So it's kind of paved the way for Gesicki. And the Dolphins, they're probably going to have a good amount of negative game scripts this season, whether it's Brissett or Tua or even the Lord himself, Reed Sinet. They might have a quarterback who can't really throw the deep ball too well, but it is nice that Kasiki has seen at least six targets in the last four games. And his production range has been from 7.1 to 18.6. Those are tight end one numbers. Kasiki is startable. So even when slash if the Dolphins become healthy, he still may be a mostly permanent fixture moving forward. He's a guy who I'm probably starting each week, maybe pull them back based off a couple of matchups. Man, I think like every year, the fantasy community overlooks the potential of players due to like injury. And while that's just sort of like a crude way 
of conducting fantasy analysis, it becomes very, very real and apparent when we start getting into, you know, week three, week four and beyond where those injuries start impacting fantasy production. And so, I mean, I'm not one to like forecast injuries, but I think like in the future, we might like over the, over our off season preparation, start factoring. Okay. If, if these certain players go down, for a, a team how does how will that impact the offense and, and how they operate which right. players like all those hypothetical scenarios i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know if that's like breaching a moral code in in like the fantasy sphere i don't know what are, what are your thoughts on that it's interesting because we could do a whole thing on and i use thing because i can't think of a better term to describe it of like okay let's remove a player from that offense who's mm-hmm. the biggest benefactor and is it enough to boost his stock to a certain point. Like, let's say you have player X and player Y and you're deciding who you like better. Okay, take out one player from each of their offenses whose stock becomes that much more valuable. So I, I think you're onto something there. We, we just got to coin it. got to think of a, yeah. a good term because it's easy to say with like a good running back, you know, like Alexander Madison. Oh, like Dalvin Cook gets hurt. Madison's a stud. Yeah, but what about for like other players like Gasicki? Or looking at like a guy like like Stefan Diggs. Like you look at the Bills, say, okay, take out Josh Allen, or not nah, that's that's too obvious. Take out Emmanuel Sanders. How does Diggs benefit? Is that enough to make him the wide receiver three in the current rankings or just stick him at a wide receiver four? So that's I like where you're going with that. And speaking of Diggs, why don't we end our 10 takes on that? I was going to give you a tight end, but honestly, I've had a lot of people ask me about Diggs lately. So why don't you just dive into what you're seeing from him? Well, and you know, my, my mentality towards tight ends, you know, they can, they're, they're my last resort on my, on my fantasy <laughs> roster. So, but right now Diggs has not done enough to be worth his ADP. I mean, like, mm-hmm. he's, like we discussed earlier, he's getting outpaced by Sanders. He is getting the volume. He has 48 targets from Allen on the season. But I just don't think he's seeing not enough action in the red zone. And also in the big games when his team needs him most, he only had two catches against Kansas City. You expect, you know, you're, I mean, once again, the, the Bills handled that game pretty well. And I think it was, it was apparent, you know, in, in the second half, they were, you know, just trying to get first downs, keep the clock running, don't give the Chiefs time to score. But still two catches against, against the Chiefs and one of the biggest AFC swing games of the season, like you, you expect more from, from, I mean, a top fantasy wide receiver a year ago. Yeah. It's interesting because Diggs' production and his usage are drastically different between each other right now, but his usage is similar to how he was used last season. It's the production that differs from this season to last season so you kind of should expect some positive regression moving forward he may be a player who i don't know you could buy low you can trade and his stock is kind of cooling neither of us are going to talk about him in this next segment but we are going to talk about two players each one player whose stock is getting hotter and one player shocker whose stock is getting colder in the trade market we call this segment hot and cold we'll each have a hot player and a cold player so cole you've already alluded to who you're going to talk about so why don't you just rip back the curtain, baby? Robert Woods, Bobby Trees. Yep. Let's let's do it. This is a Robert Woods episode. This is happening. It's it. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just slap his face on on the you know breakout football podcast logo for for this episode specifically. 
but yeah, I mean, I hope I provide some, some insight that's kind of different to what you said earlier in the episode, but I just think it was inevitable that Robert Woods was going to pick up the slack. So if there's like any chance that window is still open in your league to get one of the most dependable wide receiver two twos in the game that has a wide receiver one ceiling. I mean, the dude has hit a hundred targets in three of his four seasons with the Rams. He is going to hit 100 targets this season as well. Last week, McVay said, we need to get him more opportunities. It starts with me. And you know what McVay did? He told Stafford to throw at him 14 times. And those two connected for 12 catches, 150 yards, 27 PPR points. And like you said, he doesn't need touchdowns to be an elite fantasy options. So McVeigh was good on his ward. He recognized that the offense needs to make adjustments. And that starts with, you know, getting his, getting his playmaker the ball and not having Cooper Cup just dominate the receiving numbers, right? And Cup still had pretty good volume, right? He I think he had what seven catches, 92 yards, I mean 6.2 fantasy points. Mm-hmm. So not a bad day for him either. And these two receivers, they've led the league in yards after cat the last two seasons I think they were one in three last season I think or it might have been the season before but yeah I I think so these these receivers are are fantastic options I think you you just want it you want to you want to close in on that window if it is still there 100 percent and it's the type of offense that can sustain both receivers so i like i like that a lot of stocks kind of you know like i said he was my stock saving performance of the week or god i can't remember remember my own superlative but why don't we stick in the nfc west there were a lot of players i considered as guys whose stocks are heating up and could be good trade candidates but i decided to go a little fun here trey lance right now You may not think you need him, but trust me, a lot of you may. And I'll explain why in a second. But first off, let's look at these numbers real quick because he started the last two games. He scored 20.7 points and 14.6 points. He would have finished his QB1 this past week had he not been stopped an inch short of the goal line. Ironically, he was less than a point short of finishing week four as QB1 as well. So we've already seen we've already seen him say oh wow figuratively of course I can actually be a good fantasy quarterback every week so why am I bringing Lance up well because people are going to need quarterbacks Cole people are going to need quarterbacks as of now there are only 10 quarterbacks you can start every week and in order of fantasy points per game here they are Brady Mahomes Jackson Allen Herbert Hertz Murray Stafford Prescott and Rodgers That doesn't include Russell Wilson, who's obviously going to be out a few weeks. And of those quarterbacks I just mentioned, Allen, Prescott, Herbert, buys next week. Lamar, by week after. So as I alluded to in my waiver wire column for TDN this week, there are not many viable quarterbacks left. So the chances are if you need a quarterback, either for one week or for multiple weeks, you'll have to trade for one or get stuck choosing between Carson Wentz or Teddy Bridgewater. Now, if you have Lance... Hold on to him as your backup. He's shown us his floor is high based off just the rushing, rushing usage alone. But when he starts finding the end zone, whoo, oh, man. I, there's a real chance that Lance is a top 12 quarterback, a.k.a. a QB1 by the end of the season. But if you don't need him, 
go scour the trade market. Go see who does need him and try to prize someone good back. Because despite starting just two games so far this season, Lance has already kind of shown us his floor. And, man, it's looking good. Yeah, and what you say to that owner is, I mean, hopefully you were taking notes in your notepad or what, you know whatever whatever audio device you were looking at. But all you need to do is just copy down Zach Cohen's transcription right there about why you know all the reasons why you should uh, you should you should trade for Lance and just say that, and hopefully it'll be enough to to convince them because it sure convinced me. Or this could be my TikTok video for the week. Problem yeah. solved. Or there that. We, there Flip we it. go. Well, we talked about two players whose uh, trade values are heating up, either for better or for worse. Now we're going to talk about two players whose trade markets are souring. They're cooling. Someone whipped out the freeze ray on their trade values. You get the point. Why don't you go first? Who's one player whose trade stock has slowly been cooling? Or fast or quickly. Who knows? Yeah, that that Philadelphia Eagles running back, Miles Sanders. Oh, man. I mean, is is he even startable now? No. He finished running back 36 or lower in every game he's played in. That's just miserable numbers. He's had two, seven, and 11 uh, – sorry, 11, 11, 11 rushing attempts <laughs> over the last three weeks. I mean, that, that those are just pedestrian numbers. He has no touchdowns on the season, which honestly I thought was some of his biggest upside um, was that he was going to handle work down the red zone, and he had potential – to rip off these 80 yard runs. I was the one that advocated for Sanders when Philadelphia brought in all of those running backs in the off season to provide depth. And I just think Philadelphia has just forgotten how to run the ball. Like they're just content to let Hertz be, you know, the team's primary rusher and, mm-hmm. and air it out. And so I, I just don't think you can depend on Sanders to, to produce. And I think there's no trade window for him because no one wants a running back that isn't getting good volume and isn't producing. That's a great, great player to choose because I still think he's so talented, but like just banking on talent alone, it's, it's not enough. And I think I, he's like eighth in, in breakaway percentage on the season as well. Like, I mean, that's just, that just shows you his dynamic ability. It's just the, the way Philadelphia uses him and yeah. the way they just do they, – they fall behind and, and forget about the run in these games is, is just uh, disheartening for sure. Look, maybe it's something in the air in Philadelphia, but this now marks two straight head coaches to not really know how to use Miles Sanders. So I don't really know. Sanders, is his value, pretty non-existent at this point. I'm not saying that Jalen Waddle has non-existent value, but he's the player who I'm talking about right now because his trade value has also cooled off a bit. And it pains me because he looks good. He doesn't look great, but he looks pretty good. And he's also in a role where he can really be force-fed targets. He led Miami in targets just once this season, though, and it was when he had just one more than Mike Kosicki. And then injuries obviously opened up like a sicky to see a bigger role but Waddle's role really hasn't changed but his production has his production's dipped and let's not forget this Miami Dolphins offense oh man oh man there's a <laughs> there's a, a lot to not like about the Dolphins <laughs> offense right yeah. now like they're trying to pass the ball but this offensive line doesn't know like what their jobs are apparently so those struggles aren't helping and even with Tua coming back I have my reservations about 
how Waddle can be used. And it's not necessarily like, oh, like he's going to start playing worse. It's just like he may be at his ceiling right now. And considering that his usage has stayed relatively stagnant, but his production has dipped, it presents two interesting questions. Like one, can he get back to that? Or two, is it going to kind of be like, that was the peak. And I'm starting to lean a little more toward the former, whereas last week I was thinking he might be a good buy low candidate. Now, look, I'm not saying Waddle's a must-sell by any means, but now may be the last time we see his value this high. And barring a couple huge offensive explosions, which he is definitely capable of, I don't really see how Waddle can sustain value enough to where someone's going to want to trade for him. So I don't really need shares of this Dolphins offense, especially looking ahead at the future matchups either. I use this great tool from 444football.com or 444.com, but they are 444football with some other things in there. I digress. I call the hotspots tool and it lines up teams opponents and it shades them differently based on, you know, is this a good matchup? Is it an appealing matchup or is it not? It does green, red, and white. I'm sure you can figure out what the green and red mean. White's neutral. I looked at Dolphins opponents against fantasy receivers for the next seven matchups and they're not great. They're not great. Of the next seven matchups, Five were red, the other two were white. Yeah. And look, I know it's based off only just five games, so some of the data might be skewed a bit there. And again, Waddle isn't a bad player. But if you were going to trade him last week versus trading him now, you're probably going to, you probably would have gotten more out of that trade last week than this week. And that may be the case moving forward. Yeah, I think fantasy leagues, like you can have all the data in the world from like historical wise. But really, a lot of these games are, are these matchups are won and lost by, you know, just like week to week decisions, right? And week to week performances and players going on hot streaks, players, you know, that are trending upward or downward that you choose to, to sit or to start or to bench. And so I think just the Dolphins wide receivers got to bite the bullet for a few weeks. It may have to happen. And like I have said, since the dawn of time, my first words on this planet were, Fantasy football is a weekly game. <laughs> of course, things have changed. There's now best ball, DFS, yada, yada, yada. But for like this type of format that we're talking about, redrafts, it's a weekly game. Try to win the week. You don't have to look too far in the future, especially toward the end of the season. But looking so far at the season, Mike Williams has been balling. So you were tasked by yourself, great choice, of diving into Williams and what's gone right so far for him is fantasy value for the rest of the season. So the floor is all yours, my man. What's up with Mike Williams these days? I got you. Mike Williams has 31 catches for 471 yards and six touchdowns on the season. By far his best start to any season in his five-year NFL career. And, and this, it, this was the make or break season for him because it didn't really seem like uh, it, it kind of seemed like the Chargers were, were set to move on from him, and that would be kind of an easy decision after another inconsistent year of production from Williams. But what was helping him is the Chargers are running 42 pass plays per game. That's second in the NFL this season, and Williams has reaped the rewards of that. He's amassed 51 targets in five games. That's good for fourth among receivers. He has a 28.8% target share, which is basically akin to the same number Michael Thomas finished at two seasons ago when he was clear-cut fantasy football's wide receiver one. He has a contested catch rate of 
0.8%. And that has been Mike Williams's bread and butter the last few seasons. I felt like he always have like at least one crazy catch per game, but he's doing that on a consistent basis and more. He has two 20 burgers to start the season, a 30 bomb, and then like two points against the Raiders, like a little dud performance, but then exploded again for another 30 bomb against the Browns. And so that's kind of reminiscent of, once again, Calvin Ridley's hot start a season ago where he got locked up by Jair somewhere in between, I think it was week three or week four, and then continued his dominance for the rest of the season. Once again, Calvin Ridley friendly podcast. So the conclusion of this close-up is that Mike Williams has arrived. He is legit. He is a dependable fantasy option that will score you elite marks week in and week out. And so I'm not necessarily sure you should sell high on this dude. I think you should keep him because I think the Chargers and the way they conduct their offense, 42 pass plays per game, second in the NFL, is not changing anytime soon because Justin Herbert is by far the best player on that team dealing week in, week out. And he's throwing the ball to Mike Williams, his big target, who will continue to be a force. Mike Williams is balling, like plain and simple. But a lot of it has to do with that offensive coordinator. They brought in Joe Lombardi, and he may be a future head coach and candidate the way that he has really orchestrated the L.A. offense, really maximized Williams. And I feel like slapping myself on the back of the head because I wish I had seen this coming, or at least I should have seen it coming, because I did not realize that Lombardi had come out and said Williams is going to be the X receiver in this offense. I must have missed it in my preseason research because I was pretty low on Williams this year, especially factoring in some like injury history and stuff. So again, like I, I, I totally take responsibility for my thoughts on Williams because he is exactly what we thought he would be coming out of Clemson. And he was, I loved him at Clemson. He was one of my favorite receivers coming into that class. He just was never used properly. So knowing that he would have a role change definitely would have changed my outlook on him. If you're already low on Williams and you're trying to sell high, like Cole said perfectly, don't. He's here to stay as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, and that, that's going to be the big thing, right, is, is if he can keep his health in check. That has been an issue. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to have to go back and scroll through his injuries, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a lot of a lot of lower leg stuff. I think he did suffer a concussion at, at one point as well. So so far, so good. He's staying on the field and obviously enjoying the benefits of his new role in this offense. And, and also to think like all the people that said Herbert would suffer would take a step back in his sophomore campaign because he had a new offensive coordinator. Like, like no, like that, that's not how this process works. Like Herbert endured so much in his rookie year, you know, like less than less than average offensive line play, uh, you know, inconsistent head coach, new uh, turmoil at offensive coordinator. Everything was put in place for him to succeed in his sophomore year. And that's exactly what he's done. And everyone around him is enjoying like the same benefits he is. Yeah, 100%. It is fantastic to be a Chargers fan right now, just as it is as great as for you, our beloved listeners, to be a fan of the Breakout Football Podcast right now, because it is time for our fan Q&A. We got five questions from throughout the social media realm. So Cole and I will take turns just shooting off a few. I'll kick things off with a question from TikTok. I don't know how to pronounce this. I'm just going to spell it out. G-I-R-K dot R6 goes, 
Should I trade DJ Moore? I don't really know how to trade that well. I'm 5-0. Other receivers are Mike Williams, Tyreek Hill, and Robert Woods. Two receivers we've talked about a lot already on this podcast. What do you think? I think you do it. I think Williams, Tyreek, and, and Woods are a solid wide receiver trio, and especially with how much praise we have heaped on Woods this season, I think you can cut loose DJ Moore in favor of a more consistent running back if you are suffering in that in that area. Yeah, I'm assuming you can use a running back. And of those four, I would rather trade Woods just because I like more better than Woods. It's not a knock on Woods. We've talked a lot about Bobby Trees this episode, but you're 5-0, and oh, so there's really no need to lose value that you don't need to have. I mean, if you could find someone who's willing to give a consistent starter at running back, do it. If that means giving up more, that's fine. I, if I'm you, I'm probably trying to package more with another player for an upgrade. Like, again, I don't think more is a must trade player. He's a Panthers wide receiver one. So there's really no uh, like immediate need to trade any of these guys right now, but I'm guessing you really need a running back, maybe a tight end. So if you can't find a player for player deal across positions, try to package more or woods uh, with a bench player to make an upgrade at a position of need. Yeah, I guess I just kind of assumed like DJ Moore was the guy on the block if if he was attracting attention from somebody that could offer yeah. you a running back. And with what we've said about Woods on this podcast so far, like if you're worried about cutting ties with Moore because you're unsure if Woods can fill that void, there is no void. Woods should operate fine in that wide receiver three role in your offense. Exactly. So we'll keep our fan Q&A rolling. You want to read off the next question? Yes, yeah, also from TikTok, drip underscore Skylark. How do you value Cordero Patterson, the enigma of the NFL? How do I value Cordero Patterson uh, as a wide receiver? <laughs> uh, all kidding aside, I have gotten more questions about CPAT than any other player. He is seeing the same number of targets per game as Darnell Mooney and Noah Fant, while seeing similar number of touches per game as Javante Williams and James Conner, yet he is the RB3 in PPR formats. We can't expect him to be this good the rest of the season, right? That type of scoring is so hard to keep up, especially on such little overall usage. And more so, that kind of really goes to the inefficiencies of the Falcons' offense. But as of now, he's a low-end RB1. Like He should be in your lineups every week. But long term, I view him as a flex. And let me explain, because by the end of the season, he may still finish as a top 24 running back due to the highest scoring to start the season. But the chances he continues to produce at such efficient rates are slim. If you told me today that he would keep up this type of scoring, I probably wouldn't believe you. It's just historically rare. So I would actually look to sell Patterson while his value is still this high, though he should still be a main asset in Atlanta's offense moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not the guy that would be trading for Cordell Patterson. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if you were able to pick him up for cheap on waivers, I'd ride the CPAT train until it dies and runs out of steam. Um, or if you have someone that is just absolutely desperate at running back and you can pawn CPAT for a pretty good haul, then I'd go in that direction. But yeah, I would, I would not be trading for CPAT. Those other two routes are, are definitely scenarios I would entertain. We'll keep it moving with another trade question. Also from TikTok, from ballin underscore like underscore curry 30. Wrong sport, but we'll take it. 
Someone offered me Hunt for Gibson. Your thoughts? You told us to sell high on Gibson. Is Hunt considered selling high? Well, I also said sell high on Hunt. So this is kind of like these are two players who you should probably sell high on. But I think Hunt is actually the bigger sell high. Like they're both players you should maximize on their current value, but Hunt's producing more so than Gibson. I would prefer moving forward to have. Oh man, I, I don't even think I, I don't even think there's a point to making this trade. To be honest, like I'd probably rather have Gibson just because I know what the yeah. role can be. But Hunt also has a lot more value in the passing game. He's splitting snaps and carries with Chubb. He's just happened to score five times in five games. We also can't expect them to have a shootout with a great offense every game. And he even did that on just like what 44% of the snaps. He's currently RB6, I believe, and his value may never be higher. So we've talked a lot about Gibson. Now we've talked a lot about Hunt on this episode. And I know that definitely in the past two episodes, too. I I, would, I feel like you just keep you just keep I have uh, no idea. I have you no just idea. keep your sides. You, this is just a denying, right? You keep Gibson because it doesn't really you know, upgrade you at all. Take yeah. Hunt. But like, it's a possible really, downgrade. Right. Like there are pros and cons to each of it so much so that like, you really don't need to make this trade. It's like, it could go either way with both running backs. So if you're going to look to trade um, Gibson, uh, try to make a clear upgrade, or if you need starters because your team stinks, go sell in a package. So Gibson for two players, Mm -hmm. that's what I would do in this situation instead. Yeah, no, I agree. I'll take the next question from Instagram. True McLaughlin. Which three should I start? Hollywood, Julio, uh, Devontae, I assume as Devontae Parker, mm-hmm. Pittman, and Claypool. So out of those five options. Pick Seems three. pretty easy to me. Not DVP, that's for sure. Not yeah, Parker. No, not after how much we have slandered the Dolphins <laughs> receivers this episode. This has been a very anti-Dolphins receivers episode. Uh, I feel like it's a lot of anti-Dolphins lately on the pod, but either way, not starting Parker right now. Maybe I, not for- as you as you covered the two of Jersey with your head. Oh, uh, what do you, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> not happening. Uh but then, like, Julio Jones, I believe he's still injured. At least at this point in time, he is not slated to play this weekend. So things could change. But even then, even if he is fully healthy, I kind of got to rule him out because he may be banged up. And even if he douses himself in the Super Soldier Serum, I just think that Hollywood, Claypool, and Pittman have more defined roles. And those work to their advantage because you kind of know what you're going to get out of them you're going to get double-digit scoring, baby. Like, that's just how it is. And I kind of want to talk about Pittman for a quick sec. I like Pittman. I actually really do. The last four games, his target range has been from 7 to 12. His point range has been from 12 to 21. He is a good flex. He's a low-end wide receiver, too. And then seeing Hollywood ball out as one of the better receivers in fantasy right now, then Claypool, who I also talked about in uh, my TDN start and sit article. Actually, he had him as my wide receiver to start. Like, I just like them enough to the point where I don't really need to bet on Julio's upside or his health and then just disregard Parker altogether. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, obviously, you know, Hollywood it has earned the right to start in your fantasy lineup. And Pittman showed on Monday night 
that you know he he I loved I loved Wentz going to Indianapolis for Pittman because Wentz just fancies those tall physical wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I love that fit there, and I think that connection is only going to get better as the season progresses. And Claypool gets Seattle this week, who are just miserable defending the back. <laughs> so I mean, Big Ben right still got a little bit of juice, not much left, but still got some juice. And I think a lot of that juice could be expended against the Seahawks. Our last question of our fan Q&A comes from Instagram, jruby44. Who should I pick up to replace Juju in a deep league? Tamiko, that sounds like a deep sleepers question. Who are some deep sleepers you have this week? And we're oh, going man. forward. I don't, I don't even know. I, I have to, I have to take a look. Do you do you have one in mind? Why well, I, I, I got three in mind. I got three, and one of them hails from Pittsburgh. So why don't we keep talking about these Steelers receivers? Okay. Ray Ray McLeod. He stepped okay. into Juju's role right away. He played fifty two percent of the snaps. That is very nice. Like you said, he gets a juicy matchup against Seattle. He's an interesting player, especially in a deep league. Like, he literally replaces Juju on the field. Why not have him replace him in your fantasy lineups? Uh, Preston Williams looked pretty good in Miami. How about some love for the Dolphins right now? He played 74% of the snaps. He was second in targets on the team. He does have some injury issues. So, like, I wouldn't bet on his long-term value. But if you really needed a receiver or just a receiver to, to stash for right now and kind of see what happens, I like Preston Williams. I also like Amon Ross St. Brown in that regard. He's been a bit more proven this season. He's had roughly 13 and a half points in each of the last two games. He's also led the Lions receivers in targets last game. And now that Quintez Cephas may miss extended time, St. Brown could be the guy in Detroit. He's playing out of the slot. He's a rookie. His career trajectory is only going upward. So any, any of those three youngsters could be interesting options in deep leagues. Yeah, I'll jump on the Amon Ross and Brown train as well. That that was a name that was fleeting in the in the back of my mind as I as I struggled to come up with an answer to to this question. But yeah, I mean, I think we didn't really expect the the Quintez Cephas just emergence this season. And with him out, why why not? Why why shouldn't the rookie step up right for for Goff? And uh, I mean, he was making waves in training camp. He was making ridiculous catches. He seemed to be kind of the savior at, at receiver in sort of a hodgepodge lineup of pass catchers that the Lions were fielding at, at the start of this season. And yeah, I mean, hopefully he'll find some consistency moving forward. And if you're looking, you know, to replace Juju, I don't think he'll fill that void entirely, but he has an opportunity to earn himself a bigger role and thus more fancy production um, in, in the following weeks. Oh, there you go. You heard it here first, Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, I guess this is a pro Amon Ra podcast. You know, there was a point in time where I was relatively high in his brother Equinamius St. Brown of the Packers. That ship has feverishly sailed out of the waters, but who knows? Maybe Amon Ra can revive the good family name. There's the still a third home. brother, too, in college, Osiris. Osiris? Yes. So they just uh, Are they Egyptian by any chance, or like because they're all, you know, Amon Ra, Osiris. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think they may have some background. I remember reading reading an article or, or some social media post about the significance of, of their names, why why their family decided to opt, you know, with, with that route. But, I mean, there, there's, some, there, there's some fantastic names. Like, those are NFL-caliber receiver names. 
Yeah, I'm trying to look. I'm trying to, to figure it out right and now because Monra's father said that like he didn't want any like John St. Browns because like a million John Browns. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Their father's name is John Brown, not even John St. Brown. Uh, Equinam- he, all right, here's a quote from him. They told Sports Illustrated a few years ago. Equinamius is like good soul music. Osiris is like good jazz, smooth jazz. Amon Ra is good rap. So I guess they didn't even like, I don't even, off of that alone, it doesn't sound like uh, that they have Egyptian ties. Oh my gosh, get this. So <laughs> the, the dad, so like I said, the dad's name is John Brown, mm-hmm. but he thought St. Brown looked better on a jersey than Brown, so he adjusted their surname. So they're actually Amon Ra Brown, an Equinemius Brown. <laughs> they, they, just added, they just added the same. Well, I guess that's a good time to log off then. Enough of the internet and name searching today. As always, to so our beloved listeners who have gotten this far listening to us ramble about fantasy, thank you. It's so nice for people to not hit me up because they found the answer to their very question, all three of them on this podcast. So thanks to always, thanks to you guys for always as listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, food takes, movie references, uh, date ideas, I don't know, hit us up Random on social words, media. Zach should slip into his monologue. And what? Random words Zach should slip into his monologue. Oh, I want to do that. I want to do that so badly. Or, hey, if you want to sponsor the podcast, gears are turning behind the scenes. Have you seen baby. that one guy on TikTok that's like brew on the radio and people will give him? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's some, some fin- that's some fantastic content that we should definitely copy and, and you know, get some views. Yeah. See, that would be crazy. Almost as crazy as like me saying that. I feel like my dead relatives are floating around. I like actually butterflies. <laughs> that was a, <laughs> I just, I knew you weren't going to get that. That was a survivor reference. Uh, okay. I love the show survivor. So I'm watching it. So hopefully anyone listening just also found that funny, but to everyone else who thought that was super weird. Now is the time. <laughs> I was more frightened. I thought you were serious. <laughs> Cause I wanted to throw in like a word or something, but I couldn't think of one off the top of my head. And that was the first thing that came to mind. And if you watch the show, you'll know why I said it. Cause they have to, you, they have to say a certain phrase at like a random time. And so to everyone else, it's super weird, but there's like mm-hmm. an incentive to saying it. Um, won't spoil it. If any survivor fans out there, maybe I'll start a survivor podcast. Just kidding. I don't have the time for that. Um, but now is the good time to drop a review. We will read your reviews rate the show follow us hit us up on social media at ham analysis at zach cohen fb not even going to spell it out this time we've evolved so there you go that's our show until next week everyone have a good week six you got any closing thoughts my friends yeah nothing nothing really to add just uh yeah good luck in week six and catch those w's Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.